You can be seated. Well, if you have um, not gathered yet that we are in a new home, um, I uh, will probably spend, uh, I don't know how long it'll take me to get over that, but it'll probably be some weeks as we continue to um, just gather here for worship to be able to celebrate uh, what Christ has done, what God has done on our behalf. And as I even just think about um, the wonder of God's mercy to us. Um, one of the things that we said last week as we gathered together and uh, for the first time as the new owners of this property was that this is an embassy of God's kingdom and a place to find rest and to remind us. And um, I can just tell you that every time I drive by that sign out on the road, every time I pull up that little dirt road, I am in awe and uh, just amazed at God's abundant love for us. And it does. And I pray, I don't think it will be, um, I think it will be long, long before I lose the wonder of what God has done. And so I, um, again, I'll just continue, we'll continue to celebrate. And I am so glad that you're able to be with us, to be here on this property, even on a rainy Sunday, it still is beautiful and uh, a place to, uh, to call home. We're so thankful uh, for that. Uh, we also, uh, I'm going to continue to kind of give thanks. And um, this over this past week, many of you know that we uh, were selling some items that were uh, here on our property. And um, I just want to thank any of you that contributed to that purchased items. Uh, I want to thank uh, Caitlin and Amy who really led the charge to see that happen. And um, just as we've been trying to steward every little little square inch of this place, I can tell you that um, uh, we were able to uh, bring in um, a a lot of money. And uh, so uh, in the thousands of dollars, and uh, that will go to help us refurnish our children's ministry and a lot of things uh, in this building. So it was a a great uh, week for that. Uh, I also uh, want to just thank and acknowledge somebody I didn't mention last week, but Casey Cooper, who uh, is a covenant partner in our church, but served as our attorney as we just worked through all of sort of our documents. And again, I know that's not super spiritual, doesn't sound super spiritual, but using his gifts for the kingdom uh, was a real blessing to our church. And so I just wanted to publicly thank him as well. As we are continuing, we're uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. If you have not been with us, Matthew 5 through 7, and uh, you heard Pat read uh, again from the Beatitudes and um, that first intro to Christ's sermon to his disciples and this gathering crowd that had followed him up the mountainside. And this again is his first um, sort of extended teaching. Matthew chapter four, we get his first, what I call sermonette, um, repent for the kingdom is of, of heaven is here, is, is at hand. And so then in Matthew five, he picks up and goes through this exhaustive teaching and he's teaching on the reality of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom? And he's, in a sense, announcing it first in four and then describing the kingdom in five through seven. And so we'll, uh, we are just working our way through that text as we uh, so often do um, here at City Church. And um, we're at the very beginning. You know, this weekend, I, uh, my phone scrolled and or popped up an alert on my phone and I was stunned to hear of the news of Chadwick Boseman's death. Um, Chadwick, the great actor who brought us Jackie Robinson and Thurgood Marshall and of course um, T'Challa, the king, the Black Panther. And King T'Challa was a king in this fictional nation, uh, some of you might know, of Wakanda. Wakanda is a hidden nation that was in Africa, but it was invisible. And the world, although it was invisible, you couldn't see it. People would fly over. They wouldn't know it was there because they had to protect the resources that made Wakanda so special. Um, The world benefited 
from Wakanda. As the Wakandans would leave Wakanda, they'd go out into the world and they would take their vibranium and some of the resources that were, which made Wakanda so special. They'd take that in, into the world and they would protect other nations. And um, in this fictional story, there was so much good that came from them. Wakanda didn't have all of the problems and the strife of the rest of the world. They were predominantly had peace. And although they were unseen to the outside world, they were operating and they were living and there was good that came. And this Wakanda, by the way, which in some um, languages actually means God. It's just interesting the way that um, the story is told. But it's very much like the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is something that we struggle to understand because it is unseen. We can't put our hands on the kingdom of God. It's not visible to the eye. But although it's not visible to the eye in the same way that Wakanda and the fictional stories of the Marvel Universe, it's very real. It is very present. And the kingdom of God is very real and very present. Outsiders can't find Wakanda. This is where Wakanda and the kingdom of God are different. Because the kingdom of God, all are welcome to enter into the kingdom of God. It requires only one thing. What we talked about last week, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom. Theirs will be the kingdom of God. And we talked about as we introduced this teaching from Matthew chapter 5, this section called the Beatitudes, that Beatitude means supreme blessedness. So as Jesus began his teaching, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. They will inherit, they will receive the kingdom of God. They will be entered into the kingdom of God. He continues by saying, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. As we've talked about introducing this Sermon on the Mount and talking a little bit about it, this message of Jesus is describing a kingdom that is completely other Very different than the way we see kingdoms and the way the world operates. But Jesus knew that his hearers, those that he was preaching to as he preached this sermon, they were dealing with brokenness, pain, suffering. They were experiencing all of the realities of living in this world. They were dealing with the people who desired to oppress them. And what he was teaching them was that while things looked bleak to them, while things looked completely terrible, there was frustration and anger and oppression revolving all around them. He was teaching them that his kingdom looked different. Sometimes we use the term the economics. The economics of the kingdom of God are different than the economics of this world that we live in. We live and breathe and operate in a world that has various measuring sticks and tell us what is good, what is bad, how we are to operate up and down. And the the economics of the kingdom are different. In this world, power, money, influence, rule, all of these things that we can attain and obtain and that can ultimately sometimes lead to our oppression, can lead to greed, can lead to all sorts of things. That's the economics of this world. But the economics of the kingdom are completely different. 
And what Jesus is describing to his, his people as he's preaching this sermon and giving them hope is to say, don't look so closely and pay so much attention. Don't allow all of the things that you see, the realities. I'm not denying the realities, but don't allow those realities to prevent you from seeing what is ultimately important and the ultimate reality, which is my kingdom is at hand. And as we talked about last week, to enter, to become citizens of God's kingdom, it requires two things. To be poor in spirit means to be emptied of yourself, to repent and believe. As we spend an entire sermon, if you missed last week's sermon, I'd encourage you to go back to our podcast or our website. You can uh, download that and re-listen to that again or listen to it for the first time again and catch up. But this repentance and belief, they spawn from this humility, this lowliness. To be poor in spirit means, again, to just say, I have nothing apart from Christ. I, have, I am impoverished in my spirit. I have a poverty of spiritual things and I can only receive from Christ. And so, when we look around us, Jesus was saying to a people who were physically, emotionally, politically, anything else, fill in the blank, destitute. And in the world's eyes, they had nothing, they were worthless, and no one cared about their situation. And then Jesus enters into the world, and he says, not in my kingdom. In my kingdom, if you have nothing, if in your spirit... You have been emptied of yourself and you are relying on me alone. You will be welcomed in as a prince, as a son or a daughter of the king. That's the economy that Jesus is bringing to bear. And so it's under this banner as citizens of this new kingdom that Jesus has brought about that all of the rest of these blessings and all of the rest of this life in Christ comes to be a reality. Is this kingdom comes to us. And so, Jesus issues his second statement. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. When we read that statement, we read through these things as we so often do in our Bible. We just sort of just plow through and, hey, I got my chapter done for the day. I'm good. I got my Bible reading in this morning. But just think about those words for a moment. Blessed are those who mourn. What a ridiculous statement. Blessed, supremely happy are those who mourn. That makes no sense. That doesn't jive in our reality. It doesn't seem like it could be anything. In fact, we would ultimately say that that just sounds crazy, Jesus. How could we be blessed when we are mourning? Because we know in this life and the way that we live and operate and all the things that we do, we are taught whether it's directly or indirectly, to do anything to prevent ourselves from mourning. We don't want to do anything like that. We want to flee from mourning. Think about the great theological movie, The Lion King. Simba loses his dad. As far as he knows, it's his own fault. He runs away. No family. What is... Pumbaa tell him. Akuna Matata. No worries, man. Your whole life is destroyed, but no worries. Who cares? Don't grieve that. There's nothing to be sad about. Move on. 
Dad's dead, family's gone, you're wandering around in this desert, no worries. Or more directly as non-fictional cartoon characters, death happens, let's all go to a bar and just forget it. Can we just drink ourselves into oblivion? Because I don't want to do anything. I don't want to mourn. I don't want to be reminded of anything of loss. Let's just have no worries. That's what happens. That's how we react. And over and over again, again, in so many different ways, that idea, that thought is permeated in our minds. And we're, we're taught and begin to believe that what Jesus is saying is crazy. How could we be blessed? How could we be happy when we mourn? When we look at Luke chapter 6, Jesus is teaching again in Luke chapter 6. And he says, he sort of takes it a bit further by not only just saying, blessed are those who mourn your happiness when you're, you're, you're going to be happy when you mourn, when you're in grief. He goes so far as to say, those of you that are laughing now, yeah, good luck to you. That's not going to go too well. It's going to end. That's the Ryan Ross summary of that text, by the way. You think you're laughing, everything is great, that laughter is going to quickly come to an end. So you're happy, be joyful, be, you are blessed when you mourn, laughter and all of the happiness, that's going to come to an end. What is Jesus saying? How can we understand this? One of the things that this reminds us as Jesus, again, in one statement, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, is this theme, this idea of being emptied of the things of this world. We have been so filled since birth, first with ourselves and our own sin, and then the world just keeps piling on more and more and more. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that we must let go of the things of this world and be emptied. Now, Jesus is clearly speaking in spiritual terms. When he says, blessed are those who mourn, he is not simply saying and talking about the idea that we usually connect mourning with death. There's been a death, and so we go through a season of mourning. No, he's speaking just as he was when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's speaking in spiritual terms because mourners are not happy. Mourners do not have joy. Just as the poor in spirit will be citizens of God's kingdom, those who mourn will be spiritually blessed. And this is what we have to realize as we come to Jesus' teaching is he's reframing our reference point. So we have a reference point in life. Much like the pilot who is trying to land the plane, although he might not be able to see the runway, there's the lights that guide him. And that is his reference point. And those lights keep him on the runway as he's coming in to land and make his approach. And he sees that. And everything, nothing really else matters out there. It's what he sees in front of him and those lights that guide him. In the same way, the world and whatever our, our upbringing, our families, there's so many things. They give us these reference points and we have a lens through which we see the world. And each of us have a different lens, but in some ways there's a similarity to the, to the reality of our lenses. Is that they're clouded by sin. And they're clouded by this focus on what we are looking at right in front of us. And Jesus, as he is teaching us, he is trying to adjust our reference point. Trying to reshape the way we see the world. 
and to give us eyes to see our world and to see ourselves in spiritual terms and to see those things as most important. Think about this, when COVID, our, much of our current reality shaped by that reference point, first broke out, there was this sense of trusting in God. Sort of broke out within churches, in our church and others in the community and around the world. There was this talk about God is up to something and we were sort of attentive to this new reference point. We, he is good and so there must be some good that's going to come from this. And we were seeing things through spiritual eyes and spiritual lenses. We were thinking about our situation somewhat spiritually. That lasted for about seven minutes. Because that's about as far as we can go, it seems. And regrettably, I think the frustration of our condition just caused us to turn back to our old reference point, the way we see the world. What is this doing to me? I am angry. I am frustrated. I don't like how this is impacting my life. And we completely lost looking at the world through the lenses of what God is doing. Thinking of things in spiritual terms. But if we are to be who God has called us to be, Christians, we have to look at the world differently. Why is it that it seems Christians, the church, has lost so much influence in the world? We look outside and we can see the brokenness and the pain and the chasing after so many various things that this world has to offer. Why is it that the world is turning to those things? I would submit that the Christian, the church, has lost in some way so much been diminished in our ability to impact the world because we don't see the world the way that God intends us to see spiritually. We don't look at every opportunity and every situation through the lens of Christ, of what God is doing. And because that, because we don't see the world any differently than everyone else sees the world, we therefore don't act differently. We don't have a different reference point. We land the plane just like everybody else lands the plane with the lights of the world. When we're called to look completely other, to look completely different. And when Jesus' people see the world through the lens of Christ, then we have an impact. We make a difference. And that's who Jesus and what Jesus is trying to shape his disciples to say, I know there is chaos outside. I've gathered you on this hilltop and I can look down there and I can see and I promise you I know every ounce of every situation that is wrong, that is broken, that is, that is causing you pain and grief and suffering. And let me tell you, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. So what prevents us from seeing rightly, seeing as Christ would intend us? Why is it that we read those words, blessed are those who mourn? And again, if we pause just for a moment to consider what Jesus is saying, we would think, that's insane, Lord. How is that true? Well, the first cause of that is superficiality. Everything is so thin. I would just consider for a moment. When was the last time... That you had a conversation within your family, with your spouse, maybe with your children, or with friends, with those that aren't just right within your core, that was of any 
substance that mattered at all. That, that lasted longer than the five minutes that the conversation lasted. That had impact that, that moved forward and changed the way you saw your life. Or changed the way that you acted as a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a friend. Most everything we do is so razor thin. It's so fake. And as long as it feels happy, as long as it makes us feel a little bit good about ourselves or kind of enjoy the moment we're in. We don't get deep. We don't have a seriousness about life. We don't get serious until someone dies. And then we talk about the impact they had on our lives. We think about what it meant. We think about their lives and all that they did. But Jesus as our example, had a seriousness to him. He carried himself completely different. And the reason this superficiality, ultimately it's rooted, the reason we don't see it so often is we don't rightly see sin. Now we know what sin is. It's rare. It's it's rare that you would find someone or that I have a conversation with someone that doesn't realize sin. And the, the way that I know that is because every time I meet someone for the first time and we get to talking a little bit, by a few moments in, sometimes an hour or two in, depends on how long just I like to have fun with it. Oh, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, man, I am so sorry. I didn't mean to say that. I, yeah, you know, I, I haven't been in church in a while. I really, they, they just start going through the Ten Commandments with me. I, I did this. I did that. I didn't do that. I promise. I mean, it's just a confessional moment. Just because I describe my vocation. Because inherently, we know sin. We don't, have, we don't question it. We just, we don't have to, we don't know that what is and what isn't sin. We don't struggle with that. What we struggle with is taking it seriously. What we struggle with is we make so little of it. Oh, that's all right. It's, it's not on the big list. That's why the Pharisees, by the way, they took the Ten Commandments. And ultimately, their hearts were good. They knew people well because they probably knew themselves well. We're not supposed to do this, but here's the 600 other things that will lead to that. So let me just give you these lists and don't do any of those either. It was this protective mechanism in a sense. And so trying to, and the problem that we have is we don't make a big deal of sin as long as we think to ourselves, it's not fully adultery. I didn't really kill him. In my mind, I wanted to, and I sort of envisioned it all, but I didn't actually do it. All of those things, we make so little of it. And because we make little of sin, we can carry along in our superficial lives and just think, man, it's cool. No worries. Akuna matata. All is good. But Jesus, as I said, he had a seriousness to him. And when we look to Christ and we look at his example, the way he lived his life, we realize we don't measure up. Do you know that it's not recorded in the New Testament that Jesus ever laughed? And what is the gospel message or one of the gospels of our day? Laughter is good medicine. It cures all things. Now, I'm not against laughter. I don't think Jesus is either. 
But what is recorded of him, what we know of him, is that he had a seriousness to him. There was a holiness. There was a completely different than the world. I'm not here for fun and games. I'm here to bring about a new kingdom. To change everything about the way you see the world. And Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And as we look at Paul's life, I think we would understand there was a seriousness to his life. A a commitment to seeing the world through spiritual lenses. And if we contrast against that example, what do we strive to fill our lives with? Do we strive to fill our lives with God's word? Do we strive to fill our lives with the things of God, the ministry and the mission of God? And as we approach our neighbors and our co-workers and within our family life and all of these things, is that the center and the aim and the point and the reference of all that we do? Or is it just give me to Friday, let me have a little fun. That's all I need to do. Just let me enjoy myself. As long as I can just get through this life without much strife. I didn't mean to rhyme there, by the way. I'm good. That's what we do. I'm not speaking about you. I'm speaking with you, about us. That's We just continually are overwhelmed with trying to pursue creating experiences. All of these things. And what Jesus says is, blessed are those who mourn. So what does he mean by that? In spiritual sense, what he's saying is that we must recognize our own sinfulness. To be keenly aware of our sins. And to look at Christ's life, the example that he gave us, and the way that we see the example as we read of him in our word, his word, <laughs> He speaks to us. We hear about his life. We can know him through the Holy Spirit, through the gift of his word. And we contrast and we realize that Jesus is the measuring stick. You know, some people in the world think that they can get to heaven if they do enough good. If they, again, because we all know that we're sinners, even though we might not use that language or confess it, and there are friends in, your, in, in our world that would never use that kind of a language to describe it. But again, as we said, we know it. We think, well, I've just, as long as I do enough good to outweigh the, that bad, some of those things I know are in my life over here, I'll just kind of balance those out with doing enough good things over here. The problem with that equation, friends, is we can't do enough. We cannot measure up. And so if we're trying to find our way in this life by doing just enough good to balance out the sin and keep ourselves going, we will never get to heaven by doing enough. The Pharisees knew that. They knew how high the bar was. And so that's why they were so radical about keeping the law. Because they were going to figure out a way, self-righteously, they thought, to get that high. We cannot. And so when we look at our sins and we balance our lives against Christ as our example. And even Paul as a lesser example. And then after Paul, perhaps someone else in your life, a pastor, a friend, somebody that follows you. You look to and you see Christ in them. You look to them and you say... I don't measure up. I'm not following that closely with Christ. That's, by the way, why we need one another. We need to see how we are pursuing Christ together. We need to be encouraged in that. 
I've shared many times how so many of you, our elder team and others within our church family, have encouraged me in the midst of my sinfulness and challenges that I've been dealing with. I've been able to say, let me look to them. Let me see how they handle that situation. And we strive. And when we do that, we realize, yes, I know that I'm a sinner. But then we grieve that sin. We lament the reality of our sins. We don't just try to push that away and say, nah, that's not that big of a deal. Let me just get to the weekend. Let me just have a little fun. Let me, let me, no worries, man. That's not what we do when we realize and we, and we, we ponder and we consider for a moment our sinfulness. We, we grieve it. And that's why when I sing, I'll just tell you, when I sing the song that we sang, let me never lose the wonder is because I have fully captured in my mind my sinfulness. I, can, I will never lose the wonder of Jesus' love for me because I know I am completely undeserving of it. I know that all that I have in Him is His mercy. And His mercy is abundant because it has covered a multitude of sins. It is not light. It is not small. And my responsibility, what I strive to do, is not to just push down those sins and say, Nah, they're not that big of a deal. I acknowledge them. I lay them at the feet of the cross. And I say, Jesus, thank you for your mercy. And Holy Spirit, I grieve this. Help me. Help me to not struggle in this area any longer. Help me to deal with this situation. I I deal with it in a seriousness for what it is. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve, who rightly see their sins. And they mourn the death that is due for those sins. They mourn the reality that they are hopeless and they're completely different than Christ. And when we see the otherness of Christ... And he is elevated in our minds and in our lives. He takes the rightful place. And we contrast our lives to his life. And we realize, Lord, I need your mercy. And you know what that causes us to do? To become once again poor in spirit. To be humbled. To be emptied of all the things we've tried to fill our life with. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said this last week, but it's worth remembering and being reminded of. You want to know if you're a citizen of heaven? If you're a citizen of God's kingdom? Have you emptied yourself of all the things that you've tried to obtain to find God and just said, I receive you mercy. I receive your love, your grace. I receive you, Lord Jesus. Have you opened your hands? And with, along with this crazy statement, blessed are those who mourn. The end of the sentence is, for they shall be comforted. See, grieving our sin, mourning, we don't stay there. We don't live in that forever. Jesus' promise to those of us who mourn, who grieve, 
who are poor in spirit is that we will be citizens of God's kingdom and we will be comforted. When Jesus says, and if you remember, when he gathered his people at, at, uh, in verse 1, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. This was not just some sort of flippant, sort of throwaway kind of a conversation. We have conversations quite often. You and I. Most of you. Talking, dialoguing about various things. And those are conversations. What's happening right now is different than that. This is a teaching from God's word. That's what this time is intended to do. Well, Jesus did it better than anyone else ever did on the planet. And when he did that, he opened his mouth and he taught them. There was a seriousness to what he was saying. And he knew every word that he was saying. No word was misplaced. He didn't lose track on his manuscript of where he was going. The order with which he said and the words with which he said were exactly what he intended to say. And he said, you shall be comforted. There is no question to that promise. There is no measuring up to see if you just do it well enough. If you mourn, if you grieve, if you're poor, maybe I'll kind of consider thinking about comforting you. I'll I'll get back to you on that. Send me an email. Kind of give me a report on how you're doing. I'll let you know if I'm going to comfort you. No, he says, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be. It is a promise. It is a promise of his comfort. Not a comfort in this life and not a comfort that this world can offer. That's where we get confused. And that's where we have so many problems. And we so often try to comfort ourselves. To try to find some sort of comfort that this world can offer. And he says, I will give you comfort. And it will be a comfort that you cannot find in this world. It is a promise. You shall be comforted. And it's a promise, by the way, that is sealed with his blood. He could make that promise, friends. Don't miss this. He could say, you shall be comforted because he knew exactly what he had come to do. He knew that he was marching to the cross. When he said these words, he had the cross in mind. I am going there and I will lay down my life for all the things that you are called to mourn and grieve and to deal with and to be broken hearted over. There is a comfort coming from you that will be sealed with my very blood. I can tell you I'm going to do it because I know where I'm headed. Sometimes I get frustrated with my children. I should say sometimes. <laughs> Periodically. But one of the things is that I, like any good father, I like to give my kids gifts. I like to help them with their problems. And I'll tell them I'm going to deal with that. But then the next moment, well, are you going to deal with dad? When are we going to get this done? How about this? I've got a plan. I've got a purpose. I promise you it's going to be dealt with and it's going to be dealt with well. I tell my kids all the time, when have I not followed through with what I told you I was going to do? And I'm not a perfect dad by any means. That's not what I'm saying here. But when I tell you I'm going to handle something, it's going to be done. It's going to be done. And I'm a sinful, broken man. And when Jesus said, you will be comforted, he knew exactly what he intended to do. He knew the plans of the Father. And he and the Father were one. And he was going to the cross to shed his blood for our comfort. 
So that as we grieve and mourn our sinfulness, he, we, we could receive the promise of Christ. We could receive and know that we will be comforted. So think about this for a moment, friends. We have this contrast of the way we see the world and the lens with which we see the world. Just consider for a moment all the things that make you happy, that keep you from seeing your sin and grieving and dealing and being someone who mourns. Phones, toys, vehicles, Positions, power, shiplap. (laughs) Just fill in the blank, whatever it is. Influence, followers and likes, political victories, promotions at work, all these things, relationships perhaps. This is what makes me happy. My kid's achievement, that makes me happy. All of those things. And what makes us mourn? Death, loss. In God's kingdom, all those things that make us happy, cause us to say no worries, for the most part, every single one of them will be worthless. They will have no value. And the very thing that causes us to mourn, death and loss, will be no more. That is why we can have joy. Because what Jesus did brought us eternal and everlasting comfort. And when we see that, when we realize the reality of that truth, all of that happiness that we're chasing after... All of those things, all of that influence, all of that power, we can let go of it and we can say that is not ultimately what matters. And that's not a call to be lazy. That's not, there's so many things that's not a call to do, but it is a call to say that is not what I measure. That's not the lens that I look at my life for. I don't look to be satisfied by these things. I grieve my sin. I recognize the reality of it. And I receive the comfort of Christ. So what are we chasing? What lens do we see our lives through? And I would ask, how are we investing our time and our energy? Is it with a seriousness and a holiness and a pursuit of Christ that rules over all things? Every morning when you wake up, are you in awe of the mercy of Christ? And does that propel you forward in everything that you do? Or are you chasing after the wind? Temporary, short-term happiness. Because all I want to do is make sure I don't have a day that is filled with any mourning. Any grief. The kingdom of God is a different world, friends. And the economics of his kingdom are different. Let's look at it through the proper lens. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we ask for your help today to see the world as you saw it, as you see it. 
Help us have the right lens, Lord. I just pray now, even in this moment, that we could just recognize our sinfulness. We could grieve our sins, be broken. As we do that, Lord Jesus, we could hold on to this promise that as we mourn those things, mourn the death that we deserve because of those things, that you would comfort us. That we'd be reminded of the promise that you made to us, that we will be comforted. So help us, Lord, to see and to live for you, to, to just, um, just have that proper perspective as citizens of your kingdom. I pray for anyone that is listening to my voice that has never just paused, recognized their sin, emptied themselves of themselves, and received from you, Holy Spirit, that today would be the day of salvation, that they might repent and believe, be welcomed as citizens of the kingdom, and to, to know the comfort that you bring. Lord, help us as the church, people called by your name, to just recognize the example that you set for us and to live according to that example. Help us to just have a seriousness about life and the holiness that you've called us to. It just sets us apart, Lord, that the world looks at and says there is something other about them. We pray that that would bring you glory, that that would cause questions in souls that would be answered through your word, answered through conversation. Help us to be a people that receive the questions because we are a curious people. Because the things we say, like you, sound sometimes a little bit crazy. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you so much for being here this morning. It's been a joy again to worship with you. Um, as we close, um, I do just want to make sure that you're aware that your uh, kids, if you're not with us online, your kids are in the other room and you can just make your way uh, through these doors uh, to my left, your right, and you can go pick up your kids. Um, how about having kids ministry happening, by the way? Let's uh, give a praise. And um, and so what a joy that is. And uh, we should give just a, a, a shout out uh, in the midst of uh, whatever 
tropical storm. We're going to name that latest one that hit Melissa. Um, uh, that our children's team has been working and making sure that we were prepared to have just this awesome day to bring our kids back into kids church. And so, so thankful for Jessica and Shelly and their teams that made uh, today possible. What a gift they are to us in so many ways. And if you're online with us this morning, then you just were able to have a little bit of kids worship again. Um, so they're doing double duty, working to provide a space for our kids to grow in their walk with Christ here physically, as well as uh, extending that to you online. Um, so hope you have a great week. We will uh, see you back here. Student, by the way, students, seven o'clock this Wednesday night. I should have mentioned that. Sorry, 630. Yep. Thank you, Matt. Um, 630. 630. I should know when that is. I'll be on time. I promise. 630 Wednesday night. If you're a sixth through 12th grader, uh, come hang out with us, uh, kicking off our student ministry. Otherwise, we'll see you back here next Sunday morning. God bless. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.